Hi everyone, this is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. I made five critical choices on my journey to enduring success. I picked up the phone, which was a first choice. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and then inspired the trust of others. I created community and belonging. And finally, my fifth choice, I choose to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. In this interview series, my guests, people who I admire, share a little bit of their insight, a little bit of their wisdom as it relates to these five choices across their lives. And today I'm so happy to have Mo. Mo Bunnell is the CEO and founder of Bunnell Idea Group. Now, Mo and I worked together a long time ago at Hewitt Associates, and he was a mentor to me then, an incredible leader, and somebody that I looked up to then and I do now. So, Mo, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited. I'll tell you, Trish, your question set, of course, we'll get into this, but your question set is so thought-provoking that I found myself spending hours thinking about these really these really great questions, and, and that's going to help me forward. So I've already won, and I mean, we haven't even started the interview yet. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And as, as my community knows when they watch these episodes, I've asked Mo to come to this episode with his full self, the, the full Mo. And maybe if even we just start there, will you just share a little bit about you with the audience? Yeah, of course. And maybe um, since I'm being interviewed, we'll start with me and we can talk about family right after that. Is that good? Great. Yeah. yeah. So Trish, have, have you, I've never asked you this. Have you ever had a dog? Yes. You've had a dog. And you ever take a, did you, did your dog ever like to like chase a ball at a park or just like have boundless energy chasing a ball or something like that? Yes. Yeah. I'm that dog. So <laughs> I just, I, man, I don't know what it is, Trish, but when it, a lot of times I'm throwing the ball and chasing the, the ball in this little metaphor we're using. <laughs> You're like throwing the round. I know. And I do it until I'm exhausted and panting and get up the next day and do it again. But I really, really love, and for whatever reason, I'm driven by setting a goal. And, and I really, I didn't think of this till this getting ready for this interview, but I love somebody to say, no one's ever done that before. Then that, then I really like the goal. And then I, and then I just wake up every day and go after it. And I can't, I can't help but do that. So that's what's got me to like start my own company and then try to have an impact on the world in that way, where I'm just always trying to think of what's the next thing. And then how do I go after it? Awesome. Awesome. Tell us a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit about yeah, your yeah, family. Yeah. So there's pros and cons, by the way, to the dog yeah. chasing the ball until they tire themselves out and break themselves. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But uh, then you're passed out. <laughs> but as long as somebody is, as long as somebody rubs, <laughs> rubs a little bit, you know, while you're passed out. That's exactly right. So uh, time for time to dinner and pass out by the TV. So um, yeah. So then the next level out is uh, my wife. So Becky and I have been married 30 years this August. Really excited to celebrate 30 years because there's been highs and there's been lows and all kinds of things like that. But she is amazing. And then we have two daughters, Gabby and Josie. Gabby just graduated from college. She's now running, get this, a puppy cognition research lab at Duke where they're trying to correlate what, what early stage experiences do puppies need to have to correlate to success in longer term service dog training pretty cool stuff. Wow. And then my younger daughter is a sophomore at Georgia State. She just finished this week 
with her sophomore year and she's trying to figure out what what she's going to do in life but there's no doubt it'll be some kind of unique she's super, she's drawn to unique things and there's no doubt she'll find some unique way to help others probably people with significant headwinds so i don't know what that's going to look like but that's that's the path Josie's going down that's just that's awesome and do you have dogs at home yeah well we have <laughs> do we have dogs there's a zoo right. there's a zoo here so you you can't see about 7 acres of pasture out there but there's four horses Literally, there is a miniature donkey named Louis Hamilton that's that's rolling around in a dust pile right now, giving himself a dirt bath. We have a dog, two cats, and a green-cheeked conure. Oh, my God. It's a zoo. We like it. Mo, I'm also incredibly impressed with the business you created. So will you tell us a little bit about Bundle Idea Group? Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, you know, with the background of the of the family and the fact that I love chasing goals, like this is a, this is a perfect time to talk about it. So uh, we are we were both obviously at Hewitt Associates and loved it, right? The culture was amazing. And as I finished up taking all the actuarial exams, I moved to a role that we called managing consultant. And that's where I was in charge and had some great mentors. I was in charge for retention and growth at some of our biggest clients and most complex clients worldwide. Long story short, I was really scared when I made that jump from a deep technical professional. I'd spent 10,000 hours or whatever studying to be an actuary. And then in one day, my goals changed, my compensation changed, my how I did things changed, who I was working with changed. I even changed floors, titles, business cards, everything. And I had to learn how to do business development. And I went to my boss and said, I actually asked for a manual. And uh, Trish, he, I wasn't prepared for him I was used to studying natural exams, so I wasn't ready for him laughing at me out loud, which he chuckled and said, oh, there's no manual, you know, treat the client right. Anyway, through that process of fear of failure, I developed a manual. I started taking notes, trying to find everything I could. I feel like I really struck gold with some peer-reviewed research of why do people say yes to one opportunity, not another? How are deep relationships formed? How do we hack our own habits to drive growth and change in a positive way for everybody involved? And through that process, not only fell in love with business development, but fell in love with teaching others business uh, development. Left, uh, left I have cute. to say, including yep. me, yep. because that is yes. when you and I were together when you were a managing consultant. And so, yes. okay, keep going. So teaching others yeah. with me too. Well, and I remember that. You know, I remember our exchanges and how much positive change we drove and how we were giving and all those kind of things. Well, the end of the story is pretty cool. So I left Hewitt 16 plus years ago, started Bundle Idea Group with the focus of training others how to have a giving, authentic, transparent, win for everybody type of business development growth process. And since then, the manuals that are on the screen, now we have like over a thousand pages of intellectual property teaching every single skill somebody needs to retain and grow in an authentic and giving in, in an abundant way. And we've trained over 25,000 people all around the world, Goldman Sachs, Boston Consulting Group, Willis Towers Watson, big service-based companies, Aetna, TransUnion, Anthem, organizations where a person has one foot in delivery of a complex service and one foot in growth. And the the, the last thing I'll say is what I've really been thrilled to is the is our book, The Snowball System. And that's where it won top five sales and marketing book by 800 CEO Reed. It, 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 it won number one networking book at the Axiom Book Awards. It's just impacted a lot of people. And it's given me the scale to to help people understand they can they can build a book of business, drive growth in a way that's a win for everybody. 
And that just just plays right into everything that we are talking about today. That's right. I think there's like, like your question set is so good, Trish, that I, I don't always think of it that way, but at the underpinnings of everything we do is sort of how to treat people right, how to how to build community, how to have two-way conversations, agreements that, that where everybody wins. A lot of the stuff that I think we're going to get into next. So I said this, I, I, I've said this to you before. Um, you have inspired me mm. through the years where I have watched you not just create this enduring professional career, but what you just talked about, this enduring success as it relates to your family. Will you just for a second tell us what does enduring success mean to you? Yeah, and I love your question sets, Trish. Um, well, when, when I was preparing for this interview, I originally thought of the wrong thing um, when on this question. I thought, oh, well, it's leaving a legacy, you know, stuff that people remember you after you're gone. And I realized that that's, at least for me, that's not super important to me. Um, but rather, there's something that leads to that. And I think the thing that I thought of as I thought more deeply about this idea of enduring success is it's living living a life that you're meant to live. And because I felt like if you do that, then people will remember you. You will have created something people want to follow. You will have a community or content or something that 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 is really lasting because you lived this life that that you were meant to lead. And I I can I can go deeper on that if you want. I don't know how fast yeah. you want to move, but but that's like oh, yeah. Please go deeper. Okay. Please. Well, I consider Michael Hyatt a friend and a lot of people hopefully have read Michael's stuff because it's amazing content. And he shared with me something one time that I just thought was brilliant. He said, there's three ways you can live your life. The first is drift. The second is driven. And the third is design. Drift first. Drift is where you, you're busy, you do stuff every day, but at some point you wake up and you're like, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. And that's so easy. I've had time periods in my life where I was clearly drifting, no doubt about it. But boy, if you if you do that for a really long period of time, that's that's no bueno. The, the second one is driven. And that's where one aspect of your life takes over others to their detriment. I've had times in my life where I do that. If we think of the big buckets of life, there's um, there's your work, there's fitness, there's family, there's spiritual, there's, there's a vocations, your hobbies, your money. Any of those can like take over others to where one's winning, but but you're a loss overall because you know you, you you work too much and your family suffers, or you get so involved with some kind of giving back through spirituality or community that 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 your family or your work suffers, or you get so into triathlons that that your work suffers, or whatever. Like any of these can mess up the others, and then that third one is where the magic is, and that's design, and that's where you're where I'm living my best life for me, at least where I have this really clear vision of where I want to take the next couple of years about as whatever distance far out you can sort of see. And it's really aggressive goals, but then every day you sort of feel like because you know where you're going every day, you feel like you're making some progress towards that end. And that's where enduring success is to me, where I'm, I'm always living my best when I'm living by design as opposed to one of those other two. Oh, that's just an awesome way to think about it. And and the way that I hear that, it, it is a journey. Yeah. And is it is it linear and sequential to go through those that when you went from drift? Oh. Uh, 
I don't think so. I think they're like random. Like, yeah. um, you know, we knew each other at Hewitt. Well, I took the actuarial exams and that takes like almost a decade back in the day when they were harder when I took them. These kids now, it's easy. But they're... That's <laughs> all. <laughs> yeah, they just have to take like seven of them. But we had to take 24 back in the 80s and 90s. Wow. I mean, come on. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, at the end of that, I was so burnt out from working and studying and almost nothing else. I just needed a couple years where I didn't do as much. Or there's other times where... The driven side, something will click and take over to, and you don't really realize it. Maybe you say yes to too much at work and your fitness suffers. That's when I was writing the, the yeah. book, The Snowball System, and I gained 25 pounds. I was not in shape because I was sitting there writing all the time and running the business and doing delivery and everything else. So I think you, I think the world sort of yanks you far, yanks you harder towards drift and driven, like people ask you for stuff there or, the, or, or you need a break or whatever. Like the world will yank you away from the design. And you've got to like, I, at least for me, I've got to remind myself and push me back. And it's almost, I'll end with this, Trish. It, it's almost typically at the lowest points where everything seems to go wrong. That's when, for whatever reason with me, it clicks and I'm like, ah, I need a new plan. This is not working. And I've had several points in my life where everything seemed broken and I had to redefine where I was going and then like slowly make that happen, if that makes sense. It does, and this totally takes me to my next question, because the first, the first choice when I think about my journey was to make a first choice. Yeah. You know, but for me, that first choice was picking up the phone, and and most people know the story around that. Yeah. What what is one of the first choices you made? as you reflect back, impacted your journey to enduring success? Gosh, I thought of a lot of these low points. There was a lot, of, there's been a lot of low points, Trish, but I thought a lot of these, but I think one that really comes to mind is the financial crisis of 2008, when mm -hmm. everything collapsed in September and October of 08. And a couple years before I'd started Vinyl Idea Group, I had two kids in private school. Becky and I were like, we, we, I just become an entrepreneur a couple years before. We were really having fun with that. And stupidly, Trish, I don't know why I did this. It was sort of a grow up in a small town in Indiana mentality. For some reason, I paid off a bunch of our mortgage around the 1st of September. And I thought it was safe because mm -hmm. it was partially a home equity line. I could write another check and it was check and get the money out if I wanted. I really felt like this would be a fun thing to do is like pay off the house. And I made and I basically took almost all of our disposable cash and, and paid it off. Financial crisis hits. Um, our house has been reappraised. It's now worth a big percentage less. You can't get the money out mode. We're closing the equity line. We're freezing it, whatever. And I, my wife went, she was doing something for the weekend for her, a hobby that she has. And I, I did this big spreadsheet of our expenses and I looked and I had, I'll never forget it. I had literally a hundred days of cash and I had no income coming. Mm -hmm. I was, it was game over. Like, we were in emergency mode and I did not want my kids to be impacted. So I was thinking about the drift driven design thing. And I made a, um, I made this workbook of what I wanted my life to look like. And I know your audio listeners can't listen to this, but if you're on video, you can see it. Like I wrote down five or six quotes that were meaningful to me. I wrote down my values. I wrote down very specific goals for what I wanted something to look like 10 years or X many years later. I pulled it back to three years from then. And I wrote down like in a couple paragraphs, my life is going to look like X. 
with, and I would look at this every morning and remind myself, I can get out of this. And I pulled it back to like an annual plan with photos and things like that. And I would look every, every week at it. And then I would write down, this is what I'm going to do each day this week. That'll move me a step farther. And they, and we, I, I won't, I won't bore you with it, but we sold things that were real meaningful to us. There was a massive amount of pain through all that. Um, but we, we clawed our way out of it. And, um, and then it, and then that, that choice of like, I am not going to give up. I'm going to find a way to do this. Um, and then, and then we, we turned it around to where like that, those, the, the, it's almost a joke now. Like that wasn't that hard, but it was, let me, t- cause the numbers seem smaller now, but let me tell you, it was not good at that moment. And you turned it around and created incredible, like your whole, I mean, now you have been helping others from a business professional standpoint, create professional success. You've been doing that now for almost 20 years. So you have. Yeah, exactly. Well, now we've trained. That choice not only impacted you and your Mm. family, but it's impacted the other people that you are serving. Yeah. You know, at first in in that moment, those couple of months where it took about a year to claw out of that, but especially those first three or four months of just getting things started again. Um, I think at that point I was only thinking about my family. Like it, it sort of pulled all the way into, I got to keep this together. And, and Becky and I, like every night we figured out, what do we do next? What do we do next? Um, but now years later, you know, we've, like you said, we've trained tw- over 25,000 people in, in a system that didn't exist at that exact moment. It was, some of it was in my head, but it wasn't documented. And now we've got this massive company that helps people every right right now there's virtual zoom rooms with trainings going on with other people that are being impacted that their lives are being changed like it wouldn't have happened to your point if if i wouldn't have doubled down and say i'm gonna do this all right i'm gonna keep us on first choices for for a second because one of the things that popped in my head is and i and i purposely you and i have talked about this say not the first choice, but a first choice, because I think we're constantly faced with challenges or obstacles or um, goals. And if we don't chunk those down (laughs) to a first choice, sometimes it seems insurmountable. Uh, Is there, is there another first choice that you are twiddling around like is there do you think there's another first choice in Mo's mind whether it be practical or profound that you might want to make you mean going forward or something that already happened no going forward yeah I think something struck me the other day I I read this and it, it was really interesting and it said um somebody said all we have is time and money is just a tool that can buy you time and I thought that was really interesting. I've thought always thought of money just as a tool, like a shovel. You know, like it's some it's not good or bad. It just it can be helpful if you if you want to do it. And I think what I've got to do now is start make a first choice around buying more time, if that makes sense. Like how can I how can I get more scale? How can I impact the world in a better way? How can I buy more time with my family? Um, I made a choice, and it's a little it sounds silly, but it's a little scary to take a, a six week sabbatical this summer. Like I'm, I need it. Like the last two years, I don't know about you, but it has been 
bonkers. We've yeah. doubled in size. Our company doubled in size last year. We did. If I'm honest with myself, we hadn't built up the the team as big as we as we needed to. We have now, but last year we hadn't. I took a big shoulder of that burden myself to do delivery work that I usually wouldn't dig into because we were growing and um, I was burnt out. And I think to have the the guts to say the team can handle it, they're going to be awesome to let go. And we are building systems where I'm not going to check in for six weeks. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. And the business, everything's going to be fine. But that that's sort of our first choice to say, I've now got to re-engineer my life in a way that 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 hits that that meets the design elements that Becky and I want. Yeah. We're empty nesters now for the first time. Like a bunch of stuff has happened in, in the pandemic, and it's now time to to take to, you know, to move to the next step that we can that, that we need to move to. That's awesome. Thank you. The second choice I made was to commit to a two-way agreement. And when I think about a two-way agreement, and these are my own characteristics to a two-way agreement, when I think about a two-way agreement, two parties or two people that come together with the intent of giving and receiving to achieve a desired positive outcome, construct it together, hold each other accountable, and then commit. Now, it took me a while to figure out a two-way agreement, but... Way back when, the first two-way agreement I entered into was with my sister. And what I experienced from committing to that agreement is really transforming from I have to do these things to I want to do these things. What is a two-way agreement that you have entered into? And tell me a little bit about it and perhaps what you gave and what you got. Yeah, that's it's, a, it's such a great question. You know, I originally thought of obviously marriage because that feels like a, a deep two-way agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some other ones too, but I feel like that's probably it. Where Becky and I, it'll be 30 years ago in August that, that we got married. But the agreement, it's sort of on your wedding day. But I think if I'm honest, my first couple years of marriage, I wasn't that great of a husband. I wasn't very good at all. I think I was too selfish I was an only child. Becky's the 10th of 11 kids. She knew what it was like to be a team player in a way oh. I don't. <laughs> and I think, I think right. I was sort of a turd. Um, it, it wasn't, <laughs> that's a, that's a horrible say, thing to say in an interview. Like it's just a, no, it's I a gross it. word. I, I, I love the awareness, yeah. awareness of this. Well, it's just, I just was selfish, I yeah. think. And, but by her, almost coaching me in a way on here, here's how we need this to look. (laughs) I feel like now we're in a really, really good place. And over time, of course, highs and lows, all kinds of things happen with life. I don't even know how we got through the years with two, two small kids. I really don't. But, um, but now we're, we're, we're always talking, like if there's one thing we talk about more than anything else, it's how do we want to live our life? What do we want to do next? Like we talk about it all the time, almost daily. And, um, it's really fun to do. And I feel like I've got this real life partner with Becky um, that, that we're, we're there to help each other all the time. And what I just heard from you is this two-way agreement evolves and it's an, it's an ongoing choice to commit to it. And you and Becky together saying, what does this look like today? What this looks like today as going into being empty empty nesters is totally different than what it looked like 
Maybe it's not totally No, it is. It is. It is. Well, we have so much more capacity to do things. Um, And, you know, there were... There were a bunch of years where it was just all about logistics, almost like getting people to certain people places at certain times. And we were really involved. So I'd be a softball coach and she'd be involved at the school and like all kinds of yeah. stuff. But now we have a lot more freedom. And, and to, to drive a, a, a finer point on it, um, about eight weeks ago, Becky got diagnosed with breast cancer. So, man, you talk about resetting everything like it is flipping horrible. Like I cannot, like we, we thought it would be bad, but you know, we've had various surgeries of biceps reconstruction or whatever. And we were like thinking of it like a surgery, like a bad thing happens. You go to get surgery, you go to PT, you get better. And we knew it would be worse than that, but that's, we were in that ballpark, man. It is nothing like that. It is awful. And just to be together every day, figuring out how to do this, and to see the, see the love and the outpouring of the community she's built. She, she does therapeutic riding with horses for um, kids with disabilities. And then a secondary group by luck is breast cancer survivors, where she helps them reacclimate to the world after the awfulness of breast cancer. So she had this massive community that helped her solve for this and help her give her support. And the two of us working together all the time to just get through the next thing has been quite a thing. Well, I didn't know that would happen to your point 30 years ago. And so that's changed the short term and the long term, uh, how we handle all that stuff. Is that where you were going with that? It changes. Uh, I I don't even care where I was going. (laughs) Yes. I'm just into what you are into, into what you were sharing. And I even just think then about Becky's two way agreement with the group and this community of people and how oh. she helps them and how they help her, you know, that in and of itself is this community yeah. that, you know, that enhances and evolves each other's experience. Without a doubt. And I know one of your questions is about community and it's like, we both, I was talking with her about it today because I was so excited to talk with you on this interview. And um, one of the things we were talking about was how much, for whatever reason, we like building community. It appeals to both me and Becky, I don't know why, more than, say, joining a community. Like, I, I want to have my own business versus join a company. I don't know why. Um, but she's built this community. I wish I could, the camera's like on this huge mm. tripod that's like a million miles wide. So I can't, I can't show you right now. But right now, she's got a set of five volunteers. I can see them in a sunny field with Louis Hamilton, the donkey. Somebody's petting him. Like, it's amazing. And she, I just got goosebumps. She's going to help. And I know who this particular person is. Some, a, a young woman with cerebral palsy, get on the horse. And the horse simulates the idea of the feeling of walking in a way she can't get any other way. And there's a shot that she's going to be able to walk with, with crutches, with support. But there's a shot she's going to be able to take steps sometime in the next year or whatever. So for Becky to have that impact, and there's a there's six or eight volunteers out there that are going to help. They're going to walk alongside the horse like this in case something happens. Like, it's, a, it's a real scene out there. And to know that she has that impact and then to see how she gives, and to your point, how that came back around to oh. her to help her in her time of need. She's built all that. It is her. And I just think that that's inspiring. You're, in fact, maybe you're interviewing the wrong person. <laughs> I'm going to say. You picked the wrong family. You can introduce me and Becky. Right. <laughs> you just happen to work with me and Hewitt, who you really need to. That's right. We, I'm going to have a part two. 
I'm going to have a part two to this conversation. (laughs) It's beautiful. And thank her for her willingness to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It helps inspire others. The third choice I made was to build trust. And this all this rolls right into into each other. And and, and you know, you know this, but there was a time in which what trust meant to me was I couldn't trust anyone. Uh, nobody could trust me and I couldn't trust myself. And so I had to make a deliberate choice to build trust. So I am always, um, fascinated and eager to hear. And I, and I know you focus on this professionally, but first was there, has there ever been a time that you personally Mo have had to build trust in yourself? Oh Yeah. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Will you share? Share share with us one or all. Just share. share. Well, part of the the downside, and this ends up harming me in a way, but part of the downside of wanting to chase the ball all the time, the dog metaphor, Ah. is I'll write down, you know, in these little booklets we talked about, I got examples over the year of this real ambitious goals I'd write on pen and paper, whatever. But part of that is that then it harms me later because I set the bar so high that I'm continually mm-hmm. stretching outside my comfort zone. So a real tangible example might be giving a big keynote speech in front of a huge audience, which I love doing, but let's say it's a new speech. Let's say I've never delivered this exact message before. There's a story I'm going to tell and then the insights behind it that I've never done before. Well, I will rehearse that for literally like a hundred times I'll go walk around the neighborhood or go for a long run. And I'm just sitting there rehearsing. I'll time it like, Oh my gosh, I'm three minutes too long. I got to get short. I got to cut out something. What am I going to cut out? Oh my God. So every time I know these are smaller versions, but every time I'm stretching outside my comfort zone, I I have self doubt. I'm like, I don't know if it's good enough. I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't know if, if it's what the organization needs or whatever. Um, so then these are work examples, but the same is true in personal life. So I'm, I almost react to that by overworking and over preparing. And then it almost always goes great, but then that can sort of harm me in some other part of life, if that makes sense. And then you get out of balance and now you're the driven idea. You're back. That's what I was thinking about your, your drift delivered design. Drift driven design. Yeah. Driven. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. I messed that up. Right. And then you get out of balance there. Exactly. That's exactly right. And then you got to snap back or find a way to do it. And maybe there's time, maybe there isn't, but um, that's exactly it. So I think you, you were asking about self-trust. I actually experienced that a lot. And one of the goals mm-hmm. I set this year is to, and this is, hopefully you think this is funny, um, but to have some freedom and make it easy. So I created a word called freezy. <laughs> I want I want this year to be freezy because it was so much stretching out beside my comfort zone last year with just the hours worked, the, uh, the the constant evolution, the doubling in size of a business and shouldering a lot of it, way too much of that load on myself, building out the team, trying to staff up for this year all at once. And, and I had too much stretching last year. I need less stretching this year. And the first quarter still had too much. But part of that was winding down commitments from last year. And then this this second quarter, 2022, has been a lot better. And I want to keep that going. So I think I think the sort of ebbs and flows 
But whichever one of those is bad or out of balance, that's the one I had last year, maybe the last two years, and now I need the other. Right. Yeah. And I appreciate how you chunk things down too, because I think a lot of times building trust in ourselves or with other people, you know, trust is in the little things. And if we're not focused on that, then how are we going to get, how are we going to accomplish the big things? Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's, um, I know that's the lack of trust, but then on the, on the flip of it, it's like, yeah. I have this in- crazy desire that if I say I'll have something by to somebody by 5 p.m. on Tuesday, like I have all these systems that yell at me if if I don't have it. And now, of course, I'm thinking of a whole team. So if I see if somebody else email on our team to somebody and say, hey, I'll have it to you by five on Tuesday, like I freak out. I can't get that out, that commitment out of my head. And one of the things we talk mm-hmm. a lot about, at least at the company, is being reliable. And I talk about this a lot with my daughters, too, mm-hmm. is like, if you say a thing, you have to do the thing. You have to. And um, I, it's almost to an unhealthy extent because every once in a while it's okay to email and say, hey, the thing's going to be later. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's right. But in, in the way that I've seen you, you reset you reset an expectation that's different than right. not doing right, what Right, right, right. That's exactly yeah. right. So anyway, that I think trust has a lot to do with that. And I, oh, well, I'll, I'll give... You, you, you probably want to move on to another topic. So I'll give, yeah. No, I don't. I don't because I wanted, I wanted to get your perspective on how, how do you inspire the trust of others? And you just gave us one of the really big ones that you focus on. Is there anything else? I know there's a lot of things. Is there anything else that you would think about when it comes to inspiring the trust of others? Yeah, I, w- I will say one more thing. Um, Adam Grant has a good term called, this just struck me like a lightning bolt, and he calls it otherish. And I love the term otherish. And one of the things that we, I try really hard, my family tries really hard, we try to really hard at the big team, 20 some people now, is um, being otherish. It's one of our core values even. And I think what's interesting about it is it's just always thinking, how can I be helpful to the other side? Like, I don't even care if I'm talking to somebody, if they're paying for something or not. I don't even, I didn't think about it. I'm just diving into how can I help that person? Um, whether they're a neighbor, they're somebody looking for a job, they're somebody that that's paying for advice or training at work. Like, I just think being otherish or always thinking, how can I be helpful to the other person is hardwired in me. And I think that to your point, if you're, if we combine those two things, if we combine, if we always do what we say we're going to do, and if we're always thinking with empathy, how do I am helpful to the other person? Like you're going to win over the course of your life <laughs> over the course of a day. If you're always doing those two things. That's awesome. I want to pick community back okay. up. We started talking about it. That was the fourth deliberate choice that I made on my journey was to really create community and belonging. When you and I knew each other, first off, nobody knew my story. Like nobody knew until the last three years, you know, of me like finally bringing my full, my full, my full self here. Well, and, and I remember when I was 30 and I was at Hewitt and I had created this unbelievable professional career. I mean, to this, I'm so proud of my professional career. And, but when I was 30, you know, I was like, wow, I'm friendly with everyone. I'm friends with Mm. no one. 
I still had not truly created my community. I still didn't feel a true sense of belonging. And we can get into that, you know, later, ever which way from Sunday, because I do think that it's a deliberate choice. Do you know what it feels like to not belong? Like, have you ever felt like you didn't belong? And if so, what does that feel like? This is funny. The answer is yes. And it's my entire childhood. (laughs) Everything. Call me more, please. It's it's only 18 years I felt like I didn't belong, but it was sort of a critical 18 years. So, um, yeah. So in fifth grade, I had a good, I'm sort of joking. I'm sort of not, though. But um, I lived in a a, a smaller-ish, medium-sized town, Fort Wayne, Indiana, until we were in fifth grade in this little walled garden of a community where you could ride your bikes and your mom would say, you know, come home when the street lights turn on. And, you know, you know, it was just it was awesome. But my dad is an alcoholic, still is, because you always are. Um, It was not going well. It was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, the way he tells the story, he he mouthed off to his superiors. He was a high school teacher and a, and a basketball coach. And they, long story short, he ended up leaving his job. Well, what do you want to do if you're an alcoholic? Um, you want to buy a bar and restaurant because then <laughs> you've got an unlimited supply. So we moved. So in the middle of the year in fifth grade, I moved from this little walled garden that I absolutely loved to Preble, Indiana, population around 80 people. There were three businesses. There was a grain elevator, a snowmobile shop that went out of business in a year, and my dad's bar and restaurant. And so he would start drinking at 6 a.m. and drink all day. And uh, if you can imagine being in a town of 80 people, an only child, nobody around, and the clincher is I didn't hit puberty for about three years after everybody else did. So I go to high school. And the only thing people can say to me is, you're so skinny. I weighed 90 pounds when I went and tried out for basketball, which meant a lot to me as a sophomore in high school. I got cut because I would like go up for a rebound and bounce off of somebody. Like I remember specifically one instance, I, I went up against another guy and I, and I just bounced off of him. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I was like a little, I was like a little baby. It's not funny. <laughs> so if you can imagine that childhood, like I just never felt like I fit in because I was alone all the time. I was like, I felt like a fifth grader in high school, it, you know, according to my size, I probably was about that size. And, and it was, it was not good. I never felt like I fit in until maybe as I got into college and some things turned around, I had a great college wow. experience, but um, that I actually think that struggle helped me in the end. Cause it sort of through that fight, it, it gave me some skills I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So I actually think it was really wonderful that my dad bought that restaurant and we persevered it. And I saw my mom and dad battle through that. My dad quit drink. His last drink was August 4th, 1984. So he's been sober for a really long time. I saw him go back and get his second master's degree in substance abuse counseling after he sold the barn restaurant and spend the last 10 or so years of his life helping others. I saw my mom persevere. They're going to have their 57th wedding anniversary in a, in a couple of weeks. Like, a bunch of really good long-term things came out of that, but in the from fifth grade until high school, the end of high school was was a real struggle. If that makes sense. Thank you for sharing sharing that, and it fills my heart to think about your mom and dad celebrating their fifty seventh. It's pretty cool. I just saw them this weekend for Mother's Day, and uh, they were they were on cloud. Uh, it was it was cool to see them, and we're eating Mexican food and 
celebrating and it was just, it was a good time. Well, and you said in college, you started to feel, that's when you started to feel belonging. How does it, what does it feel like to belong? I, for me, it's, it's spending time with people you care about in a mutually supportive way. And like, we're looking out to my left and they're getting ready to board or board the horse to get on the horse wheelchair and all out there getting ready to go up a ramp. And like Becky's out there building a community where I guarantee every volunteer, the mother, the child, Becky, like they are, they are accomplishing something that they couldn't independently. Becky can't do that without the horse. The person can't climb up on the horse without the volunteers. There is a, there, there, there's an experience going on to my left outside this window where people are bonding because they're doing things they couldn't do alone. And that, that to me feels like what community can be. Perfect. The fifth choice, the fifth choice I made that I still choose every day was to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. When I talk about these five choices, for me, it was linear and sequential only because I couldn't do one until I did the other one because each one built upon each other and each choice I made actually helped me realize that love is a choice. And the distinction that you and I have talked about is love as a verb, you know, not love as an emotion, which is not a choice, but love is a verb, the actual act of giving it and receiving it. And that manifests in a whole bunch of different ways for all different people at work and home and within our communities. Will you share with us a time that you chose to give all of your love and What did that feel like? Gosh, this is so deep, Trish. Like, this isn't just your normal, like... Well, and you've shared shared things already that is all around that. So now I'm asking you to share more. I don't... This was was the hardest one for me of your amazing questions. So I have a little bit more of a metaphorical answer as opposed to on July 16th of this year, something happened. For me something I've struggled with my whole life, and I'm sure it has deeply rooted things back to that small town in Indiana and a father is an alcoholic and the family trying to stay together and stuff like that. But for the people I love the most, it is sometimes really hard for me to share transparent feedback. When my clients hire me, I have no problem. Like, hey, you, you know, Joe, Sally, this is going well. You got to do better at that. Like, I'll just, it's no problem for me to do it. I don't know why. Um, that's part of what we're paid to do. But the closer you get to my immediate family, the harder it is for me to say that wasn't good enough, or I think you can do better. And I'm not sure it was good or bad as a father, who knows how to be a good father or mom or whatever, but, uh, but it was, it's really hard for me and I had to work really, really hard to do that. So back to your question, I feel like true love in, and I'll lean on our old Hewitt stuff here is both caring and requiring. It's both, it's Mm -hmm. both brutally honest and said with love. And 
when I, when I feel true love, I feel somebody in a caring way share feedback from me if maybe I have a blind spot or something I haven't thought about or I could do something better. And I feel like true love for the other side is something like that too. It's like it's truly trying to act in the very, very best interest of others. Choosing to, to give love, give all our love in that way feels great, but why? So why do we not? Why do sometimes and a lot of times we all withhold? I wonder if it's, um, I'm sure it's, it could be different for everybody, but I wonder if for me, it's yeah. about a, like a deep fear of not being loved back or of resistance or of mm-hmm. uh, if I really tell it like it is, is the person going to be angry or sad or what, what, or, or whatever, but some kind of fear that there, it's not, somehow it's going to reflect poorly on us. I feel like almost all of our motivations are something about us. <laughs> so why we do yeah, something, why totally. we don't do something. So maybe for at least for me, I can think through like, why don't I do that from time? And I'm better now than I was before, but the, but even now sometimes I'm resistant. And I wonder if for me, it's like some kind of fear that it won't, the conversation won't go well or, or it reflect poorly on me, or maybe I wasn't right yeah. to begin with or something like that. Totally. I'll raise yeah. my hand on that <laughs> for, for me too. And you know, I, I, I think about this, and this is probably just more of a reflective question for, for myself and you. you know, I think about there's so many reasons why individuals every day choose to withhold, right? Just to withhold giving and withhold receiving. And I know this is grandiose, But I think to myself, imagine if each of us or just more of us more often showed up with the spirit of I'm choosing to give the love and I'm choosing to receive all your love, no matter matter what happens from there, I'm choosing to show up and imagine what that would mean just for our day, for our life and the people. Yeah, and how, how much deeper our relationships would be, how much faster we would grow and all kinds of things. I, I think you're exactly right. hundred percent. I've got a, a little bit. Yeah, little I've got a, a, we've got a good couple friend of ours, Mike and Diane, and Diane is particularly good at this. Like she, if she feels it, she says it and she does it with a smile or a joke or a question or whatever. She's incredibly good at um, bringing up topics better than way better than I am. And I've like learned a lot from her about the way she does it in it. And she just makes it small. Like if she's worried about something, she says it, but she makes it small with a, with a laugh or a joke or a question, some kind of easy entry. And it's just, it's always good. Like she's just incredibly good at transparency and sharing that love in that way. And I really look up to her for it. That's awesome. Before, before I wrap up, um, this makes me think, so a lot of times if I'm working with teams or whatever it is, People will ask me, well, Trish, how does love manifest itself in the workplace? Now, I always turn that back to them and say, I don't know, how how does it manifest itself? But Mo, what you do, and specifically, because I always love reading and watching your professional, your professional focus, you do this so much with teams, but will you just tell us a little bit more about BD habits? Because I think that really, from my perspective, is a way that giving and receiving love manifests itself in a professional a environment. 
And if I'm stretching too far, no, no, no. I think you're spot on. So, so for context, and and I'll share the. for context, almost everybody that we work with has some kind of deep expertise. So one foot into something they had to learn over eight or 10 years, and then one foot in retaining or growing that 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 business. So we, we teach B, BD stands for business development. We teach basically growth, growth and retention skills for experts. So examples of that are lawyers, accountants, consultants, people like we were. Um, but it also could be like an account manager at a big healthcare company or some service-based organization or maybe purely salespeople. But we've done a decent amount of work with just pure leaders too. People that are trying to say you're a CIO or a CHRO, you've got to grow your influence, sort of your book of business, air quotes around that, and your ability to be strategically helpful to your internal clients as opposed to just being an order taker. So what BD Habits does is it teaches three big things. In specifically, we talk about growing a book of business, but really that's about growing an influence. The second thing is growing relationships, which parlays the, you know nicely with anybody. And the last one is like growing your career, growing your impact, growing your ability to, to basically make a difference through habits. So if we're talking about growing your influence and growing your relationships and growing your impact because of those things, that's what the BD Habits course solves for and teaches people how to do because most people aren't taught how to do that, sadly. Uh, where can people, can because pe- I know that I have access to that, but is, is there somewhere somebody can go to get access yeah, well, to it's more really about easy. that? And I'll post it. I'll post well, it's it. It's really easy. It's at it? bdhabits.com. <laughs> <laughs> so it's super See, easy bdhabits.com and, and honestly it's like that what's in there is you sign up right away and there's like six emails with videos that i tape that talk about how to do those three things there's even like a self-assessment for your influence that you've got job aids toolkits like we put a lot of thought into it and there's no charge for it so i would like yeah. that's one of those things that you, we talked about giving a lot that's one of the things we put out in the universe. We're like, we just want to give this to, to folks. It's like the first 5% of everything that we teach and there's no charge for it. Yeah. It's yeah. The other, otherish. It's right. The, it's yeah, otherish. The otherish. I love it. The otherish. I believe, I believe with my whole heart that we create enduring success and fuel the success of those around us when we choose to give all of our love and we choose to receive all the love others want to give us. It's a choice. We all have the power to make it. And I thank you so much, Mo, for receiving the love and giving the love with me today and just sharing everything and spending 100%. Your time. And you, you've inspired me through this the, the, the model you've built for this, the question set. Let me tell you, this is deep stuff. I encourage anybody to like write down or think, go for a walk and think about your answers to these questions because I'm a better person. Like I said, because I went through it and like Trish, seriously, like I, I already won before we even logged on because I feel like I learned so much from you just, just answering the questions and with your guidance on how to think about them and things like that. So you, you can't thank me. I'm thanking you. Thank you. Oh, you're awesome. All right. And Mo and I thank you all for joining us for this Choose and Become interview episode. Awesome. Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. 
go to trishkendall.com backslash choose dash become dash interview dash series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me trish at trishkendall.com.